is the day that the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad within it. Happy Mother's Day to each and every mother who is with us on this morning's occasion. And of course, we also express our love for those whose mothers have passed into eternity, yet we still encourage you to celebrate this day and to rejoice and to honor the memories in which your mother had with you. And in the meantime, if you are a mother, rejoice and be happy today. It's a special sign. We're going to be blessed with some music from our music at this time, and we'll come back and share with you. your name, your holy name, I'll praise your name, not just today, but always, now and forever, Lord, I praise your name, I praise your name, I praise your name, come on, say, your holy name, your holy name,
Praise the Lord, everyone. Come on, praise the Lord with us. As we enter worship, as we lift up the name of Jesus, as we give God the best praise we know how. With the fruit of your lips, I want you to lift up the name of Jesus. Anybody expecting God to do something, expecting God to bring us through this coronavirus, expecting God to, to change the situation? Come on, y'all. We can sing this song. I'm expecting my miracle any day now, any day now. I'm expecting my miracle any day now, any day now. I shall have what I need. Any day now, my faith, it's coming to me. Any day now, any day now, I'm expecting.
expecting my miracle any day now any day now I'm expecting I'm expecting my miracle any day now any day now cause I shall have yeah, what I need It's coming to you and it's coming to me Any day now, any day now Any day, any day, any day, any day Any day, any day Any day now Get ready, get ready, get ready Get ready, get ready, get ready It's gonna happen, it's gonna happen for you It's gonna happen for you, yeah. God's gonna turn around any day now. Today I've noticed that we've had, uh, much like you would have in a regular service on a Mother's Day, an increase in terms of people who are attending. And I wanna say thank you for those who are with us this morning, a little bit more fewer than what is expected or anticipated anyway. So thank you for joining us on this Mother's Day and prayerfully that the word that we'll share with you will be a blessing to your spirit. I actually want to use a text this morning that's a bit probably out of the ordinary. You wouldn't typically see it, I don't think, on a Mother's Day. I don't think I've ever recalled ever hearing a sermon on Mother's Day from this text. But I want to draw your attention to an episode. And I think it's the reason why it's odd because of the episode that it occurs. But in the Gospel of John chapter 19, And I want to read verses 25 through 27, and particularly verse 27 is going to be our verse to deal with this morning. The Gospel of John, chapter 19, beginning in verse 25. Therefore the soldiers did these things, but there was standing by the cross of Jesus his mother, his mother's sister, Mary, the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus therefore saw his mother and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby, he said to his mother, woman, behold your son. Then he said to the disciple, behold your mother. And from that hour, the disciple took her into his own household. That's a strange passage, mainly because it doesn't occur in terms of preaching typically outside of what we call other than the Easter season. And I think we preachers are guilty of relegating these sayings and these sayings are the seven last words or the seven last sayings of Jesus to that period of strictly just being only proclaimed on Easter, and perhaps rightfully so, uh, because I think one of the intentions is to raise our sensitivity and our consciousness to that dreadful, but yet determining and delivering experience that our Lord uh, took upon himself on that Friday in which he embraced 
the sins of the world. But those sayings, I've got to admit, haven't just occurred on that Good Friday, um, but they've also occurred periodically in my own experience, in my own existential context, in my own existence, without it being just on Good Friday. And I think if you're honest with yourself, you probably will say the same thing as well. You, you've not only seen those seven last sayings on a Good Friday, but they've also come through the course of your own journey as well. For example, there have been moments where uh, I felt abandoned. I felt neglected. I felt as if God has hung me out to dry and, and I felt myself kind of withering away. And like Jesus, I've cried out in my own way, my God, why have you forsaken me? It didn't just happen on a Friday, but I've seen it happen on other days of the week as well. Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Saturday, and Sunday. There have been moments in which I have been moved to celebrate uh, because someone responded to the invitation in the preaching of the gospel. And in their response, we witnessed them walk the church aisle. And while they're coming down the aisle, it's as if you could almost hear the voice of Jesus telling them because of their decision, today you will be with me in paradise. You can almost hear that, that saying again from those seven sayings at that cross. And there have been, and I would argue there even are times now when we're involved in conversations or situations um, that we have to witness and at the same time pray and declare over those certain contexts because of people's decisions or because of people's behaviors that instead of trying to physically intervene or trying to bring some rationale to the context, we simply pray, Father, forgive them for they know not what they're doing. Their behavior certainly suggests that they're out of the norm and they don't know what they're currently doing. My spirit, my heart, my soul have had to work through some dry seasons and I think you probably have had to do the same thing as well. And what we assumed at that moment to be depleted spiritual power. So in that dry season, it felt as if we couldn't get a prayer through. We couldn't get things to work that, you know, it would be satisfying to us. We couldn't come to the conclusion that we had so desired. So in both my mind and my mouth, I've had to declare I thirst. And I'm thirsting that God would bring some deliverance. I'm thirsting that God would restore me some power, that God would give me some comfort. I'm thirsting that I would get to feel, experience in my own interbeing uh, that God has actually not abandoned me in this dry season, but is filling my soul with his divine presence. And if you have walked with God for any length of time, you have encountered enough battles in your life and walked through enough shadows of death uh, you've come to realize that the sooner you say this particular phrase, the sooner peace will come and the sooner power will be restored. And amazingly, in that situation is where God uses you to become the bomb in someone else's Gilead.
And so we reflect those very same words to which Jesus cried out, Father, into your hands, I commend, I commit my spirit. And what's amazing about that is that word commend doesn't mean that I give up or that I just quit in the midst of the crisis, but it highly suggests that what I've decided to do is to relinquish my control of this situation out of my hand and place it into your hand with the faith and hope that you're going to work and weave all things together for the good. We've been there. And then we all know the joy of coming through a tribulation, of coming through a sickness, of coming through a trial, of coming through a disappointment, of being stretched, and yet we survived, and crossing that finish line and declaring as Jesus did as he comes to those final moments, it is finished. We made it. We got over it. And the point I'm trying to make is that those sayings of Jesus on that cross cannot be merely restricted to that Easter uh, celebration of Friday, Good Friday, and then Resurrection on Sunday morning. That Those are words that come out of our mouth, come of our experience, come out of our, uh, our journey every single day. Well, I hope it's not every day, but any day of the week they come out where we encounter those kinds of saying. But there is something about this passage of John 19, particularly verse 27, that gets me, that reminds me on this Mother's Day of how powerful, you know, how potent, how yet spiritual it is to have that one human being in your life. Because in the life of our Lord, on that day, on that Friday of crucifixion, in that hour of pain, this one person stood out standing there at that cross. Uh, that uh, what they call an adversative uh, conjunction, but amazingly in the text introduces what I see as a sharp contrast between the callous indifference of those soldiers that were there and the compassion of at least two persons, specific persons who were there at the cross, John and Mary. Now, when I read this text, the question became, first of all, what did those soldiers do? Well, you go back to verse 23 in clause A of chapter 29 of John, we see that they crucified Jesus. They followed through on executive orders. They carried through on the empirical power suggesting to crucify him. You read the dialogue in the Gospel of Luke between Pilate and the gathering audience and the officials. Pilate struggling in his own inner being as to what he should do because he fought, find no fault in the man, nothing that could render this concept of crucifixion, this, this penalty of crucifixion on Jesus. But he concedes to empirical power. The Bible says he, he was under great pressure. They kept pressuring him. And you know the story. As a result, he ends up giving the orders to crucify Jesus. Clause B of verse 23 said that these soldiers were gambling, shooting dice, 
for the clothing of Jesus, but as a mockery, uh, because they're going to proclaim that he says he's a king. Let's see if he really is a king. And they mocked him as such. However, unbeknown to the soldiers, they had no idea, I don't think, that they were actually fulfilling a prophetic utterance that's depicted in Psalm 22, verse 16 through 18. There was something going on in the life of a person in Psalm 22, someone who's experiencing a similar bout of oppression that's actually played out in this moment of crucifixion at Jesus' life. Here's what it says. Dogs have surrounded me. A band of evildoers have encompassed me. They have pierced my hands and my feet. That's, that's Calvary. I can count all of my bones and yet they are looking at me. They are staring at me. Here it is. Here's a line. They divided my garments among them and for my clothing, they cast lots. Now that got me because in the soldiers action, they were fulfilling divine prophecy. And yet we find Jesus in verse 25 here at the cross, there is standing right there with him, Jason to that cross, some folk who apparently were not only extremely important to Jesus, but who found the inspiration to be at the moment of crucifixion. His mother, his mother's sister, his aunt, Mary, the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. And we know little of his aunt, and we know little, very little, if anything, other than the uh, uh, Mary, the wife of Clophus. That's who she was, a wife of Clophus. But we got a lot about Mary Magdalene. We know from Luke's gospel that she was delivered from these demons, and you kind of figure she would definitely be there in terms of experiencing this crucifying moment where the man who brought her release is now being crucified. They were standing there close enough to have Jesus speak to them, says Luke 23, 35. He spoke to them. And I'm convinced of hearing words from Jesus. Either they were driven away by the soldiers or it came to a point where they were unable to watch the suffering of Jesus any longer. And says verse 49 of Luke 23, they moved away at a distance. Now, Mary could have also moved because her eyes once again saw what Simeon had prophesied to her when she brought Jesus into the temple as a young child. Simeon said in Luke 2.35, a sword would pierce her soul as she watched her son suffer. He prophesied that. And here it is at that moment now, she's sitting there watching her son, a mother watching her son being crucified. Now that may not seem like much to you, but that is tremendously influential in the text because Matthew and Mark don't even mention 
that Mary is at the cross, probably because, as some scholars suggest, they believe Mary had a low-key role in the New Testament, other than the Catholics who exhort her even above, I think, the level of the Lord Jesus Christ, but yet in Protestantism, she has a low-key road, rarely mentioned outside of the birth of Jesus and now at the crucifixion. Nevertheless, I want to push the point that in this critical hour of Jesus and in his pain predicament, he identifies his mother in his presence. He identifies the disciple whom he loved, who probably best understood his intentions when he said to his mother, whom he loved unconditionally, behold your son. Pointing to John, deflecting from him, but yet being a part of him, remember, because John is described in his own gospel as a disciple whom Jesus loved. Not that he didn't love the others, but there seemed to be this overwhelmingly intimate connection between John and Jesus. And Jesus is saying, although I'm at a cross, I'm right here, you can see me suspended between heaven and earth. Mama, your son, John, is going to take the role of taking care of you from this day forward. And then he looks at John and says to John, behold your mother. I'm transitioning my sonship in terms of my mother to you that you might provide for her the help that she's needed. You will give the protection and the provision that my mama needs. And I think Jesus did this for two reasons regarding his mother's. Number one, if you think about it, he was actually honoring the fourth commandment. Honor thy mother and thy father. He was living up to that, making that clear. Even in his dying moments, he was making clear that although I'm on the cross and she's on the ground, she's witnessing the piercing in her soul. That's still my mama and I give her honor. The second reason is I think he was demonstrating that sacred union between a mother and a child in what the late P.T. Forshaw, the great theologian, called the crucible of life. Here's what he was saying. That mama stood there in the toughest moment of her child's life, not to leave, but to stand adjacent and to even have to eyewitness what it means for my son to be bruised. In bruising him, she was bruised as well. What I'm trying to get you to see is that this day we are honoring mothers because some of us got some testimonies of how gracious we are that our mother stood the test of time with us in those crucible moments of life when we were trying to figure out how things would work out and those moments in which no one would stand with us. She stood tall, hung out there with us. Even when we were wrong, she never allowed her love to vacate us. She would put her arms around us. And even when we went against the grain of her wisdom, she would still take us back in her arms. 
and let us know that what pierced us and hurt us was the reason why she wanted us to avoid those troubling moments because it would bring damage to her soul as well. And I think Jesus says, even though I'm dying on the cross, I still love my mama and I can still feel the love that extended up on this hill while I'm suspended between heaven and earth. Jesus says, I still, I feel my mama. And P.T. Forshaw calls that the crucible of life. And I just want to say, think for a moment, let your mind roll back of how many crucible of life moments you had to make a phone call. You had to talk to somebody. You had to get some wisdom and your mother was there. Doesn't have to be your biological mother. Maybe your relationship with your biological mother wasn't that great. And you had a surrogate who stood in the gap. You had a grandmama or an auntie. You had someone who adopted you, someone in the neighborhood who loved you like you were their own. And as a result, they became your mama. You felt that mothering spirit. And in the crucibles of life, that's what Jesus is trying to tell us. When the tough got going, mama never vacated the throne of motherhood, but stood tough there and reached out. And when necessary, pulled me in, grabbed me, gave me a hand to lift me up. See, I'm going to mess your theology up right now, but you just follow my trail. Sometimes God worked through mama to reach me when I fell off of walking on the water. Sometimes when I denied who Jesus would, God used mama to bring me back to my understanding of embracing who God is. Sometimes when I went off into my own far country, daddy said, leave him out there. When he get himself together, he'll come back. But mama wouldn't wait. Mama would keep on praying, be on her knees, calling everybody she knew, pray for my child. And mama would even come out to the far country to find her child, because that's who mama is. Because in the crucibles of life, that means when life crucifies you, bring you to its crosses, mama will still be there looking. And if necessary, mama will climb up on the cross and bring you off of it and take you back home and bind you back up, heal your wounds, nurse you back to life. That's the reason why today I labeled this sermon, Behold Your Mother. Look at who she was. Look at who she is. She may be in eternity now. She may be gone home to glory. But that memory, that memory still rings. Still rings. When your life hit a rough patch and you didn't know how you were going to make ends meet, mama would get those few pennies together and gave you what she had. Your mother would bring over food for them children. It may not have been much, but it would fill the void in that stomach because that's who mama is. And so I want to say four things to you that I'm done. This is why I think Jesus at this cross etched in his soul, even in his dying moments. These are the four things I think that Jesus saw in his mother. And I want to encourage us to look for them and our own mother as well. Here it is, number one. I think what Jesus saw when he looked down at his mother at that cross, he saw the righteous favor of his mother. The righteous favor. Right there, through his mind, he could remember it was this young teenage girl 
that God selected to be the carrier of the divine seed of God. He saw the righteous favor of this woman. This young girl had to demonstrate something in the eyes of God to be selected as the carrier of the incarnation of who God was. And there it is, when Jesus looked at her, what an honor he said, my mama was the divine righteous favor of God. And some of us can remember that our mothers, man, we wouldn't understand why they exhibited such behaviors, particularly in conflicting and, and very tough moments when people would be trying to demean them, trying to dehumanize them, or trying to reduce them, trying to make them feel less than, and yet they would stand their ground as solid as a rock and not compromise who they believed and who they were. They stood tall. And we would only observe later to comprehend and yet integrate that into our own life because I wanted to be strong like mama was. We couldn't, couldn't remember why when we would cross the room in the morning, we'd see mama right there beside the bed on her knees, praying in the morning, going to bed at night, doing the same thing. Now we understand. Couldn't understand how we survived having five, 10 children in the house. Very menial jobs in terms of income, and yet nobody ever went hungry. Nobody ever went without. In fact, what was so funny was we were poor and folks said we were poor. We didn't even know what poverty was because we felt great. We were well-fed, well-taken care of, well-loved. We had grounds to play in. We were a family. Mama made it like that. And whenever there was a dispute between us, don't let her bring the boom down. Because mama seemed to have had that righteous favor of God. And that's what I want us to remember on this Mother's Day. Remember who she was, whether it's your mama biologically or big mama, whomever it was. Big mama would put you in place just like you were her own birth child. Auntie would bring you into line just like anybody else. Because when they had that righteous favor, that's what it appeared to be. God gave them that persuasion, gave them that power that they need to do what had to be done as a mother. Jesus looked at his mom and said, man, my mama has righteous persuasion. But there's a second thing, not only righteous persuasion, but I think Jesus was also saying, my mother, this woman is so great because of the religious fervor in her life. Mama had a conviction. You read the gospel of, of Luke, there's very little we find out about Mary, the mother of Jesus, very little outside of the, her carrying Jesus, giving birth to Jesus, and then bringing him to the temple for dedication. We lose sight after that. We lose sight after that. There's not much else written about Jesus' mother until we get to the cross. And I think that's because in that journey, between the beginning and the end, that gap is filled with the righteous but yet religious fervency of Mary. I believe Mary served her son, her Lord. I believe Mary did what had to be due, stayed in connection, worshiped in the temple, constantly praying. Thank God for our religious fervor in our mothers. Somebody prayed for me, had me on their mind, took the time to pray for me. 
many of us would testify. I think I can get an amen right here. I can hear it right now ringing my ears. If it hadn't been for my mama praying and watching over me, making sure on her knees, as they would say, that the good Lord would keep watch over me while I'm out here doing whatever I wanted to do. And then that religious fervor was powerful because it meant every Sunday morning, mama was going to church and guess what? You were going right along with her <laughs> all day if necessary. Because that religious fervor said to us in the short term, it's an annoyance. But in the long term, man, we come to realize it now, in a, in a coronavirus atmosphere, if it had not been for mama showing me that prayer will get you through some tough seasons, will get you through some times in which you don't know how you're going to get through, why everybody else is being depressed, everybody else is committing suicide, everybody else can't figure out what to do. We are only surviving because we know something about the name of Jesus. Because we saw in our mama, mama would get on her knees, no matter how dark the moment was, she would cry out to the Lord and she would always come back and tell you, the Lord would make a way somehow when beneath the cross we bow. Here we are. We're right here in that cross moment. And I'm convinced that Jesus looked out and saw his mother, who he knew along those 33 years of his journey, she had religious fervor. That meant power. And there were times when we couldn't figure out how mama made it. How in the world did mama survive? How in the world did mama put up with daddy? Did she do what she did? Mama had favor and mama had fervency. Mama had power in her life, but she was religious. There were some things that mama just wouldn't do. There are some lines mama wouldn't let you cross. And then mama had that rule. You can go out and stay out all you want Saturday night, but you come back up in this house, no matter what time it is on Sunday morning, you coming on to church with me. That's because mama had religious fervor. Mama had righteous favor. Mama had religious fervor. But then I think Jesus, number three, looked out and saw his mama. And he had, he provided what I think to be mama provided for him reflective focus. Mama standing at the cross. Everybody else is gone. Mama is still there. Mama is believing and loving after all others have gone. Good God Almighty. Can you remember that moment? When everything else was gone, there she was standing there. Because reflecting on the focus of mama, she always had you in her eyes. Always had you in her view. No matter where you went, no matter what you were doing, she always had you in her view. Reflective focus. And even while we were out all night on Saturday, mama was somewhere on her knees, reflecting on God's goodness to protect us and to keep us until we came to our right mind. And remember, we only look at Jesus from the standpoint of being the Lord of our life. We forgot now, I think we forget rather, that there's a human side of Jesus, that that human side should highly suggest that Jesus probably did the same thing that every other boy did. Could have been mischievous, uh, could have been disobedient at times, could have been hard headed, you know what we do. 
and yet his mother always keeps him in reflective focus. And I tell you how you can know she had he uh he's looking at her in reflective focus when Jesus is in the temple. Well, he obviously leaves where Mary and Joseph were. And they go looking for Jesus and they find him in the temple. And Mary says, well, what, what are you doing here? Come with the family. She's looking for that child. Any mother would do that, looking for that child when that child gets lost. And then Jesus says, I'm here because my hour has not yet come. I'm doing the work of my father. I got great things to do. I'm getting prepared. And Mary says, all right, I understand. See, we're at this cross now. But Joseph is not there. It's the belief by scholars that Joseph has passed away now. And yet the two people that Jesus points out to me, his mother, his aunt, well, his mother and John, but there are others, aunt, Mary, the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. But he highlights his mother and John. John, John, the disciple whom he loved, he's there because I, I think he felt in that crucifying moment the same pain of Jesus. And when Jesus saw that, that man, that's who I want to take care of my mother. When all else is gone, she's here at the cross. When all else has disappeared, Mama is almost like the father of the prodigal son. The only difference is she's mama and he's a father. She's always waiting for you to come back home, throwing out the lifeline. She's there when no one else is. Then there's a final thing. And the final thing is, I think Jesus witnessed the responsible faith of his mother. And you know what I think the responsible faith was? I'm convinced that in the trenches of life, in the trenches of Jesus' journey, I want to believe that Jesus' mother was well aware of where he was. That's my conviction. Because in the trenches, that's who we want. People who love us, people who care for us, people who will fight with us, people who will stand with us, people who will be honest with us, people who will be supportive. We want them in the trenches. And as I said before, even when I'm wrong, there's nothing like a mother's love who in her own corrective manner will correct in love at the same time. It's, it's a humorous point, but it's effective. You remember when we used to get them whippings? That's what we call them. We call them whoopings. We didn't call them whippings. We call them whoopings. And they were with the switches that were tied together or with the belt. And then they would hear that one little small speech. This is going to hurt me more <laughs> than you. Never could find the rationale in that. Uh, never could even see how you would create yourself to, uh, those kind of words that come out of your mouth. But they were saying emotionally for me to have to discipline and to sharpen you, that hurts me. And if you follow the logic in the scripture, that's what the proverb writer says about God. It's, it's, it's difficult. The book of Hebrews says, if God don't discipline us, then that might be a high suggestion that we're not a child of God. In other words, this idea of responsible faith says, I love you so much 
that in training you, in developing you, part of that development is going to be your faith in God. And you know, mama, mama used to say, no matter how much you act up, how crazy you act, I'm not going to leave. I'm going to be right here. And when you get ready, you come on back, I'm going to be right here waiting on you. And that's because there's something about that love of mother, that responsible faith to teach us how to trust God, to teach us how to believe in prayer, to teach us how to pray, to teach us how to read the word, teach us how to be reflective on the things of God, to teach us how to respect people, to teach us how to honor people. Yes, ma'am. No, ma'am. Yes, sir. No, sir. To teach us how that when you give, it comes back to you. And even when people do you wrong, they highly encouraged us. You trust God to right your wrong. Man, that's, that's tough. But that's mama's responsible faith. Because she always believed that, that God will take care of her enemies, no matter what it was. She taught that to us. And I'm here to, here, here to tell you today, if you're a mother... Teach that to your children. Teach them the word of God. Teach them the power of prayer. Teach them to trust the Lord. Teach them to believe that God works all things together for the good. And teach them to understand that even when you don't understand, just hold on to God's unchanging hand. And somehow it works together for the good. Woman, behold your son. But to John, he says, behold your mother. From that day forward, says the Bible, John takes care of Mary. Call your mother today. Your mother is still alive. You're able. Give her a call. Let her know how much you love her. Find a way to give her some adoration to let her know that you appreciate her contribution in your life. There's a fear in my own life. That is, as my mother gets older, you know, you, you become afraid that, and you know, it's going to happen. One day they're going to have to leave you. And I know my mother is getting along in the years and, and I hope she has many more, but I, I'm, I'm also preparing. One day I know she'll take that journey and she'll no longer be here. Embrace, maximize your time with them while you have a chance. Once we are there eulogizing and we're making our last viewing, it's, it, it's all gone. It's too late then. Make the most of it now. Make the most of it now. I'm thinking of members in the congregation now whose whose mothers are ill and they're they're you know they're wrestling having to have to go back and forth to see them and and in this coronavirus thing they probably may not be if they're in facilities that's a wrestle that's a struggle in the spirit i think of the the various testimonies i've heard of persons whose loved ones have passed away and were unable to see them man what a painful thing that has to be that's got to be a painful situation Today is Mother's Day. 
Behold your mother. Tell her how much you love her. And give God the praise for the mother that you have. She may not have been the best, didn't teach you the best, didn't treat you the best. Don't hold against her. Look at it this way. For whatever reason, divinely, you were the gift that God gave her to bring to this world. So the fact that you are here, that's God's way of saying, I'm going to use you and I want you to do more than what your parents did. And then isn't that what we're doing? We want our children to do better and be better than we are and what we are or what we were. We want them to do better. So Zion, this Mother's Day, let's celebrate it with a great deal of joy and anticipation. And I honor all mothers today. Thank you, mom. You have a tough, tough, tough job. And when you're raising more than one child, man, God bless you. But when you're successful at those 18 years and get them out where they either go to college or begin to make a career of some sort of their own, to God be the glory for your efforts and for your patience and for your endurance. Thank you, moms. Thank you for who you are. Without you, there would be no creation. Come on, let's pray. Lord, thank you for our time together today. And we pray now that you'll bless this wonderful day in which we celebrate the womb to which you brought life into creation. Bless now, God, this day as we go in our different ways. And Lord, may our memories ever give you the glory. And thank you for how you provided for us in our life. We'll give you the praise. If somebody here today, Lord, may have heard this word. And although I did not mention of Jesus giving an invitation, yet he gave John the invitation to extend hospitality and love to his mother. Jesus always stands giving the invitation that somebody might have life and have it more abundantly. Make that happen today for someone's life, God. We'll give you the praise and glory in Christ's name. Amen. If you've become a believer today, we are shouting and rejoicing with you. If you recommitted your life to the Lord Jesus Christ, because for some reason you've been out of church for a long time, we rejoice and celebrate with you as well. And by chance, if you just happen to decide to become a part of the Great Little Zion Baptist Church, we are rejoicing even more. And thank you for doing so as well. Zion, family and friends, thank you so much for your financial support of this ministry. We encourage you to continue to support the church as you go by way of text giving on your phone or by way of e-giving on the church website or whether you mail in your cashiers, checks, your money orders. We appreciate your tithes and offering in supporting the ministry and pray that you'll continue to do so as well. I want to thank all the leaders of Great Little Zion, the membership. Thank you so much for sticking together and we are persevering in this corona uh, age and i i think we're on the verge of getting through this thing but let's hold tight keep on pushing keep hanging strong we're gonna hang out here on this uh virtual ministry until we get a green light but in the meantime let's keep on celebrating the word of god and keep on celebrating the opportunities that god gives us to get together to worship in spirit and in truth guess what Next Sunday, you know what it is. It's third Sunday at Great Little Zion. It's Communion Sunday. 
So don't forget to get your communion gatherings together so that when we come to the conclusion of the sermon, we're going to break bread together as if we were in the church building. Hey, Zion, I do. I do miss you guys being in the building because I miss seeing certain people in certain spaces and I miss certain things happening uh, in the church during the time of the worship service. But to God be the glory, we can at least get a chance to see each other, witness the word of God, and we continue to celebrate as well. Once again, happy Mother's Day to you. Keep on keeping on in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Love you. Look forward to seeing you on Wednesday evening. Six o'clock prayer meeting time. Come on, Zion. Let's get into this prayer meeting. Come on, be a part of that so you can be blessed. You can give your uh, prayer chime in. You can witness people praying for you. 730, we're going to break bread together in the word of God and study. Look forward to seeing you on Wednesday, Zion. Have a blessed, wonderful day in the Lord. I love you. Stay strong. Peace out. Amen.